come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radio. Welcome. It's Wednesday, it's two o'clock, it's time for Some Call Me Tim, the podcast where we talk about God, gods, the old gods and the new, Harry Potter, I, I don't know, whatever you believe in, we're going to talk about it. That's what happens on Some Call Me Tim. And then the second hour, Pervert Fervor plays the dulcet tunes of his meagity moogs, beepity boopin' for all of you guys. We have a special guest today. Her name is Ginger Murray. She is not here yet, but she will be here soon. Trippy music means it's time to talk about what you believe in. We're going to ask her all those pertinent questions about what's important in her life, what makes her a moral person, does she believe in God, etc., etc. You can give us a call at 415-550-0511. Pervert Fervor is not in the house today, Timothy Pizza. He's not with us. He was with us in spirit. And we have a recording of him playing some of his pervert. It's called Live Debate 01, Meth Wolf versus Pervert Fervor. That's what you guys have to look forward to today, along with... Ginger Murray, our special, special guest here on Some Call Me Tim. She might be having trouble parking or something of that nature. Hey, if you guys haven't done it yet, I encourage you to apply for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2017. It's March 1st through 5th. Next year, submissions are being taken now. You can go to mutinyradio.fm and fill out that live form site form give us your five bucks be it paypal looking for 50 comedians to do 25 shows in five days it's gonna be a really really fun time it's really talented people it, it was last year and it will be again this year so i'm excited about that uh hey ginger murray is gonna be on our way we're going to listen to some pervert fervor 
while we wait until she comes. And then we'll be doing a full hour. Ginger Murray, feminist, activist, writer, editor-in-chief of Whore Magazine. I'm really excited to uh, find out what she believes in. So stay tuned here. Mutiny Radio. has arrived i'm super stoked you guys are listening to some call me tim for a second there you were listening to pervert fervert don't worry you'll get to listen to him in a little bit as uh he is usually my fantastic co-host but not tonight and that's okay it's actually today today is the 23rd of November. It's almost Turkey Day. I am so excited to have the most amazing guest. I haven't seen you in so long either. It has been it has been a long time and I can't wait to find out uh, what you've been up to and then also what you believe in. What makes you you? What makes you what you believe? Just anything you believe in. Some people believe in cats. Some people believe in God. Some people believe in Jesus. We're going to figure it out here on Some Call Me Tim with our special guest, Ginger Murray. Yay! Yay! There's always trippy music in the background because we're talking about higher powers and all that stuff. Ginger Murray, welcome! Thank you very much. It's very exciting to be here. I'm super excited that you have joined us here on Some Call Me Tim. Uh, so the reason that we have this show called Some Call Me Tim is that, I don't know if you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, search for the Holy Grail for what exists, you know, and the silliness of it and all that fun stuff, but the Tim the Enchanter, 
Uh, so I'm Colby too. That's why we call this show that. And uh, here we are. My first question usually is, uh, do you believe in Jesus? Uh, I, I know that a man named Jesus existed. I don't believe in him. All right. So he does not, he does, Jesus doesn't, um, he's not a figure in your morality. No, not even remotely. You've, but you consider yourself a moral person. I do, I do. I'm a big um, supporter of integrity and ethics ah! and compassion and recognizing the, yes, that it is very important that we give of goodness and of ourselves to the world. Wow. And what made you feel this way? If it wasn't like some strange figure that, or archetypical, I don't know, myth, what 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 gives you what has given you your sense of integrity? I think that's kind of the most important word that you threw out there. It's um, well, there's many ways I could approach that. One is a simple uh, fact of balance that I have experienced in my life. That it's not so much that I believe in karma in the full, rich cultural sense that that implies, right. but um, that there is a, a kind of balance in the world and when you engage in acts of integrity things around you are more stable they're kinder there are more opportunities and not everybody would believe this though some people say that screwing people over is the way to get ahead yes and unfortunately uh there's a big figure who represents that idea currently on everyone's mind and isn't that so scary it is it's so scary you're a woman you're a feminist Oh yeah, no, we'll try not to get too political because I'm sure that it's just ubiquitous right now. We can't get away from it. But like, how does feminism play into your integrity or your gestalt, your personal like? Uh, well, in the sense of, um, I sort of go to the idea of a basic tenant of my philosophy and the world is to know someone is to love them, oh. and to know if you have the capacity to recognize each individual or animal or plant or whatever and have a recognition of its existence, then that naturally, according to me, leads to a loving. And feminism for me is a political perspective that is based upon the idea of recognizing the humanity within all of us and that equality is an essential and vital part of how we find happiness in the world. Wow! Wow, that was amazing. Well, at, equality breeds happiness. That's amazing. But that's not but right now what we see in our political climb that we're, you know, immersed in and whatever America means is that that's the, the opposite <laughs> of, of yeah. what we're like exclusion and non understanding and non acceptance and, and, closeting and you know becoming that sort of like getting smaller and tinier is sort of like i don't know because then it's like you get love yourself and love your family but don't love anybody else because they're scary or i don't even i it's hard for me to understand because i kind of on the same yeah side it's, as you. <laughs> it's a baffling thing for me and i do i do have a bit of a weird theory um which is it's not uh it's about cancer but it's not that obviously cancer exist for many 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 reasons however i have seen a correlation between uh sickness and how people are engaging with their sort of active smallness hatred and selfishness not to blame very good people of <laughs> cancer because it's not their fault it's, right so this isn't a 
you know, I'm not making a direct correlation, but I have seen the kind of suffering that happens physically for people and mentally for people and in their kind of energy when their whole philosophy is, I'm going to get what I can get and screw the other person and a kind of selfishness and a, a hatred, it actually, you can see it in them and it affects them. And according to me, I, I'm quite sure that they probably don't wake up in the morning and feel bright and powerful and happy in the world. So wait, are you talking about literal, literal cancer or figurative cancer? Like people who are selfish are a cancer among us or they breed a cancer inside them, but not like literal. Do you think selfish people can actually make their own cancer? Like I, I that do. would be really interesting to have like, oh my God, we need a fifth grader. We need to do a science project yes. <laughs> and find out like find people with cancer and then sort of study them behaviorally and find out if they're inherently selfish people. And if that's what, well, that's the question, nature versus nurture, does lifestyle, I mean, I guess, of course, lifestyle breeds cancer, because if you smoke, mm -hmm. you have a higher probability of getting lung cancer, and if you're just an angry person, maybe you have a higher probability of, I mean, I guess you could, you could at least see that with maybe ulcers. Yeah, well, and like I said, I mean, all kinds of, a range of health issues, and which is, like I said, not to, you know, I am, I'm a great fan of science, right. science is very important, très important. <laughs> but, um, so, and like I said, I've known a lot of really wonderful, beautiful people who have suffered health crises, and it's not because they're selfish, but, right. but I do think that when people are holding on to something that is bitter, um, angry, vengeful, selfish, that it can reveal itself within their body and within their overall healthy existence. It makes sense. You're thinking holistically. Mm -hmm. And I think that we we compartmentalize things like, well, that's my, my physical health and my mental health and my emotional health are all separate things. Like, And you see people sort of compartmentalize things differently. And if we could sort of harmonize all of that and say, hey, well, my happiness and well-being does reflect on my health. That, I mean, it, that's a concept that you're, you, you even negated it when you started saying it. Like, well, this is a crazy theory I have. But is it so crazy? It really isn't that we, we are whole beings. We're like, here, this is my physical corporeal body and I am inside of it emotionally. And the things that I think, why wouldn't they manifest in my own body? It's actually, there's an interesting uh, side bit of anthropological research that... Um, um, in Egypt, there was a belief for a time that the brain was actually located in the stomach. Wow. Which, you know, lends to, so we have this idea that, you know, I feel it in my gut or my instincts. Sure. There is this, there is another knowing existing within our bodies. I mean, obviously there are brains and it's affecting all of that. But metaphorically I, and poetically, I appreciate that idea that we also have, we have little brains yeah. Located in other, and that they all function together. That you know, this idea of our organs um, also having their own sensibility and their own sentience. I think that uh, it's a fun thing to explore and to look into. And like I said, primarily metaphorically and poetically. Right. But, but who knows the what lymph science nodes, will uncover? Lymph nodes are everywhere in your body, and they mm -hmm. kind of like transmit something. And they have to do with our health and. Oh, I don't know. But so you're like a holistic. Now, I, there was, it's just so funny that you brought that up too about each organ. When I was in poetry school, I tried to do a project, but it was unsuccessful, where I had all of my body parts send me um, letters and 
postcards. So like my liver and kidneys were on vacation together in Mexico and they kept sending me postcards being like, hey, chill out with the, the tequila. Like, I know we're, we're in Mexico, but you gotta... So it was this weird thing. I was trying to like connect my body through all these letters and make it funny at the same time. But it just... It, it never work. came to fruition. Well, I mean, I did some of it, but it was like, I just didn't finish the project. The project sort of lost legs because it, <laughs> like my legs were in another part of the country. It was, it was hard to use it as a standing metaphor and make it actually, I mean, it made sense, but it got to be a little too cheeky. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Be Cause that's once, yeah, there is this, in this consciousness meets art movement that we are experiencing. There's some really great stuff in that, but it can also quickly um, devolve into some, very simplistic um, bits of silliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell, hey, I haven't, um, I haven't seen you in like four years. What has it been that? It's long? been that long. I haven't seen you since you got married. Really? Yes. That I know. It's just weird. I don't. Uh, what? But I thought you moved. I did. I moved to Oakland. Oh, see, I was thinking like somewhere far away, not like Oakland. <laughs> it's well, actually. I did marry a Frenchman, so in a way, there's a part of me that is. Um, Do you get dual citizenship? Uh, we haven't applied for that. Well, are you going to? Do you um, want to get out of here because of the whole scary mess? Or what do you feel about that? Oh, no, I'm going to stay here and fight. I'm really? Not you're up. a fighter. I, oh, yes. I well, do not accept this outcome. Right? No, I don't either. I think that Barack should just stay. He should. This should be like his moment where he gets like ghetto on everybody's ass. He's like, I ain't leaving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm staying for a third term. I don't care. I'm squatting at the White House. Right, squatting at the White House. Well, Trump doesn't want to be there anyways. He wants to stay in his weird thing. And I'm like, well, then just let Barack just hang out at the White House forever. I love Michelle. She's amazing. I'm worried about the new Melania. I feel like she also won't like fat kids, but she's going to really promote bulimia. You know, like it's so much better because the kids stay skinny and people will listen to women someday, you know, if they're skinny and pretty. And then also it, um, it's great for the consumer America because you consume four times as much food and you barf it up. So I think that that's really good for the economy. (laughs) That's a, that's a joke. Uh, I don't really, I don't, I don't want any of this to be happening and I'm really scared. We're officially not condoning, uh, bulimia. No, we're not. No, that would be terrible. I, yeah, well, that's I'm a terrible person. But uh, are you still doing horror magazine? I still see you're still on the you're still on the internet, still on the Facebooks. Um, I am. It's uh, been on hiatus. Um, I have been slowly, steadily working towards bringing it back. It will be in a somewhat different form. Because it was so beautiful. I mean, this magazine. If you guys can go about, I don't know, if back issues even exist, or if no, they, you could buy all, them on. They're all gone. You can buy them on eBay now. We should look it up and see yeah. how much they are. They're probably like three hundred, four hundred dollars for an app. Seriously, but I mean, because you did a bunch of these and. They're beautiful, the, the photography, the whole thing. And that is such a huge undertaking. So clearly you have belief in yourself or in, yes. the, in your community and the people around you because they were like really hardcore undertakings. I mean, every single, uh, you know, I want to, episode is the wrong word. Sub, subscription. What's the word? Issue. That you, issue. Issue. Yes. Every issue. Um, so where have you been throwing like your time and your energies now that you haven't had that enormous project just taking all your time? Um, well, there's been, I've uh, turned to writing about a lot of other different issues. So I've been writing for medium.com. Cool. Um, because moving to Oakland was um, and not only a big, huge shift, obviously, in my personal life, but a shift in the way that I'm looking at the world and um, how I'm engaging with people. Um, I live in West Oakland, and it's really it's a beautiful, wonderful neighborhood. And I love living in Oakland, um, but it sort of brought to the forefront 
because I've always been a feminist. That's always been a very um, intense act of my activism uh, output and expression. Yeah. Uh, within that, obviously, a lot of support for LGBTQ rights. And obviously, I've always been against racism, but that <laughs> hasn't been something that I have been uh, intensely engaged in the process of combating. Right. And living in Oakland has kind of brought that to the forefront. And so there's been some activist work that I've done with that. I was involved in the Oak Center Neighborhood Association, working with the Oak Center Cultural Center, and also just engaging with people and neighbors and all sorts of different um, expressions by people about how we're going to move beyond what this rot of uh, divisive racial crap has been. You you honestly believe you can make a difference. Are you. Because uh, this is about belief, and you are very passionate about what you're saying right now. I mean, you really believe that we can come together and make a change? I mean, it's just, this whole election was what scared me because I thought that I thought that we were moving forward as a country. I thought we were going to have. A, I didn't want this particular woman president, but I voted for her because I'm like, doesn't matter. <laughs> Don't can't be him, anyone but him. But it still happened. Yeah. And I felt like we people were kind of trying. At, I mean, I had to wait in line to vote, and that hasn't happened in a long... I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm 42 years old, and I don't think... I I think the last time I remember waiting in line to vote was the second... The the George W. Bush, the second one, but then he won that, too. Just every time I kind of have thought that there's hope, it just crumbles, and it sounds like now that this terrible thing has happened, you still have hope, and you believe even more. Yes. I actually believe and I feel there's burbling a genuine commitment to civil unrest that because we are in such a dire state of emergency that people are now galvanized to really utilize their rights as citizens and to speak out and to mobilize and to gather together and it's there's a desperation in it obviously but I have seen a lot of it I'm part of it um, and it's it's actually a very profound and and it's moving and it's that aspect is actually giving me more hope than I had a few weeks ago, even in the devastation of what happened in the election, because I do think that we have been somewhat complacent as Americans, as liberals, as people, I, even myself, I haven't been nearly as radical as I could have been. And now... You had a magazine called Whore Magazine. <laughs> How could you be more radically feminist than like... You know, promote. That's. I'm like, how do you do it bigger? And you still believe this is crazy. I, I've, I'm having a crisis of faith. I'm just waiting for the class war, and I don't want a war. I don't want to fight anybody. I don't like fighting. I don't like guns. I don't like. I don't want to die. I love my cat. Like, <laughs> I. But what is the, what is the recourse? Like, do we have to wait till we start interning Muslims like the Japanese in the 40s, which wasn't that long ago, and we let that happen? Do we just? Is it that, you know, my friend gets deported and suddenly now I'm like, but once that happens, it's sort of too late. So it's like, how do we? Uh. Well, it's, um, there's lots of different ways to <clears throat> approach that. And it's, you know, there's, I've uh, been going around in certain circles. I mean, a lot of people have been creating pages. I created one called Peaches for Freedom. I saw that. Yeah. I should like that right now. And you're doing the peach thing. It's cute because it's the pretty name for vagina, right? Yes. Yeah, that's great. And also just because beaches are warm and fuzzy and I want it to be a place for uh, political information to be disseminated, but in a way that's not, um, that allows people to have a little bit of fun, juicy, warm fuzziness. Yeah. Um, So what we started doing and it 
It may be a fruitless hope, uh, but we gathered together with a group of people and disseminated addresses around of the electorates and the uh, senators and all kinds of different people to demand that uh, the electorates vote for the popular vote, which would elect Hillary Clinton for president. Yeah. And we are somewhat engaging in a desperate action because the likelihood of that is very, very slim. However, it's giving me energy so I don't just sob and scream on my right, floor right, to at least right. do something. And to so we got together and on old typewriters we wrote to all these people. You're amazing. We discussed with each other and you know, and it's going on. So people are continuing to find ways to help protect each other, to uh, give opportunities for people to express their fear. Um, their vulnerability, to um, find out what our actual rights and laws are and how we can protect them or push them further. So there's, we can start it now. We don't have to wait until... Can't the electoral college, though, just change their mind and say, you know what, (laughs) we're going to vote for Hillary. They can. Can't they just on the date that they vote or whatever say... December 19th. December 19th say, you know what, this is, we can't handle the racism. He's going to appoint... Or he's trying to appoint to Attorney General Jeff uh, Summers. So what is his name? Uh, he's a Sessions, Jeff Sessions, mm-hmm. who's like super KKK. He said that the only problem he has with the KKK is that they he found out some of them were smoking pot. Like, and that makes them evil. For Attorney General, which would like push back all of the drug reform that we've had in this past year and the past the years. And like... Scare, scare. I know. It's scary appointees. Scary. But can't, can't the Electoral College just say, you know what? Sorry, America. You guys, you, you messed up on this one. And we can, and you can send them a letter. See, we've got to, if there's still hope like that, we got it. Because it's like we all just rolled over and went, oh, well, everybody's racist. And I'm wondering where these racist people are and how the women, after the pussy grabbing thing, said, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. You could grab the pussy all day long or whatever. The Roe v. Wade stuff, the, the two judges being appointed, what would happen? You're of childbearing age. Are you wanting to have kids right now? No. Right. Either me either. And it, what would happen if you were pregnant and there wasn't any, I mean, I have an IED, so it's sort of a moot point at this point, but. Well, Obama did sign in, well, at least um, a order protecting Planned Parenthood funding that the federal government can't deny them funding. So he put that um, order through. It's it's a small step. uh, It would be very, very difficult to overturn Roe v. Wade. Trump doesn't understand that he doesn't actually have the power to do that. Right. So, but that means that we still have to fight for it. We still have to protect it. We need to, you know, talk to the judges. We need to be in communication with the people who have the ability to protect those rights. Yeah. Because, man, I I have a joke that's like, oh, I just got my period and it hurts so badly. Why? Why does it hurt so much? And I'm like, oh, it's because the entire Supreme Court is still inside my uterus. (laughs) They have enormous benches, voluminous robes. And uh, my period was so crazy the other day. I thought that I had aborted the ghost of Scalia. But no, they're all still getting in there. I thought Mm -hmm. I thought that we got rid of it. But anyways, that joke not didn't used to have as great a legs. But then now that Trump's. <laughs> the elect, all of a sudden people are like oh yeah your abortion jokes we used to think were edgy are like so topical now I'm like oh really so it takes terror and fear mm-hmm. for you suddenly to believe that all the things that we sort of take for granted could be hanging on a precipice like Muslim people could go to an internment camp I mean what would we how would we fight something like that And because in the 
we're not a, like a super time of war, I guess, or are, because in 1942, did people get up in arms about Japanese people just getting carted off? Did anyone go like, don't take our friends? Like, no, they didn't really. I mean, there were some people who did some actions, but yeah, that was a, that's a real blight on our uh, nation's history. But I go back to the civil rights movement in the 60s. And what was so significant about that was not that it was just a series of protests. It was dedicated, influential, inspiring leaders who through, you know, um, old tools of mobilization gathered together and galvanized people and trained them to be able to engage in civil unrest. Yeah. And that's what we need right now. And we haven't, that movement has still always been happening, but it now needs to be bigger and we all need to be involved and we need to start looking to that to see what worked and how we can use a lot of um, the tactics and the tools now and to be really committed to, because we are at war. This yeah. is, it's not about, I don't want war, we're already in it. Right. And we have been in it for a while. And so it's not about necessarily mobilizing people for destruction and violence, but mobilizing people for action and intention. And if we can do that, I think that we could really shift and change some things. See, and I saw last week, I saw a bunch of kids. They were like, you know, between 16 and maybe 22. And they were marching from through Civic Center mm -hmm. to the, there were like maybe 200 of them. And they were like, not my president and da, 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 and all this stuff. And I looked at them and I was like, oh, those poor kids. They can affect no change and nothing's going to happen. And they had a little police escort and the police were almost kind of in the corner sort of laughing at them. And I didn't want to like laugh at them. And it's so cute to see them like have civil unrest. But it's like, it's hard for me to believe that we can affect any, that anyone's listening to us, that anyone's, that we have any ability to affect change. Cause it's like, you're like, let's galvanize the people. And I'm like, behind what do we, do we all get on our Facebooks for one day and go like, racism is, racism is bad. Like, how do we, I mean, I just feel like the, the government that's up there now is so far out of reach and so far out of touch of what I think and feel mm -hmm. that it's like, how can I even, I, I had a big thing. I was like, I'm moving out of the country if Trump is elected. And then I sort of realized like, okay, I, I can't do that because if I leave my rent controlled apartment, I can never move back to San Francisco. <laughs> so there are practical, like, practical considerations. This, I mean, I, but I would be out of here because it's hard for me to like, it's so disorienting to feel like I thought, I mean, I went to college in the 90s where I was like, feminism and we're changing things and I'm a woman that people listen to now and, and things have changed, and, but it, they, it hasn't at all. Like, and... It hasn't changed enough. Hasn't changed enough. Yeah, well, there is what is happening currently right now as we speak, however, is something that is very interesting is this issue around Standing Rock. Oh, right, right, the North Dakota, the pipeline thing. Which right. It's terrible too. And that why do they call it Indian giving when we give them the land and then we take it away every time? And then they call it, I'm like, we're, that's what we do. We give to the Indians, we take it away. Here, have a really cool reservation that was not as cool as where you lived before, but now we're just going to put a big pipeline through it and take our oil, which why do we have that anyways? Why couldn't we have the solar and the wind? And the 
Okay, yes. So tell, yes. tell us about Standing Rock and what we can well, do. Well, what's happened, I mean, is obviously these protests have been going on for a while, but increasingly as a result of all of these other factors, the protests are growing, and the more intensely that there's um, that they're being attacked, the more intensely they're fighting back, and more and more people are going there. I know quite a few people who are there wow. as we speak, including Rebecca Kaplan, who is the city council member for Oakland. Um, so people are going out there, people are bringing supplies, people are sending cars, people are sending tents. and It's cold now. Yeah, and it, it's so <laughs> there right there we have we have a, a roiling, dedicated act of civil unrest that is currently occurring and I'm, I'm so sad that it's happening and that it needed to happen, but but it is. And so this I think will be the the shift. And hopefully we'll start the trend where we really understand what we're facing and how dedicated we actually need to be and that we make an agreement and we check with ourselves and be like, okay, I need to do more. How how can we stop a pipeline though? What do you go out there and chain yourself to the thing and say, don't build it. They have the contracts. They're like, no, no, we're already doing it. We pass the things like, get out of here, people. Is it that you just stay and fight till they run you over? Like what? Well, there's that. There's the physical active part of it. And then there are the people who are talking to all the leaders around anybody who can affect this to put pressure on them, to put pressure on the people who are building the pipeline. So, and right now there's a lot of calls and letters going out to Obama. It's like, Obama, you need to do something about this. Yeah, before before you get out of office. There's mm-hmm. so many things that like, he's try- he just commuted like a uh, hundred more sentences. So he's up to over a thousand now of people with uh, drug like te- you know people who are like first time convictions mm-hmm. you know from years ago and the drug policy has changed a lot of those people are still in jail and he said oh I'm going to try to get 1600 out this year and he's trying it's just it's not going to happen to get all of them commuted but I mean that's just one of the things like how can he get it all done he only has like 70 days like what do we uh, you'd be surprised how much can be done actually I know that in the current uh, climate Bill Clinton is not seen as favorably as he once was, and with good reason. However, he did, there's a famous story about him, his last 24 hours in office, he stayed up all night and signed bill after bill after bill after bill after bill after bill. bill. And and just put it through. Things like, there was at that time, um, because I was from Oregon, and there was a whole issue with the timber industry and the spotted owl and all of that, and... There was a lot of protests and there was a lot of struggle about that. And it was it was a similar fight in some way that we're facing now. But it's, you know, obviously the environment because there was mass deforestation that was happening, which we can't have. Right. And it was obviously for profit and for commerce and for corporations. But then you have the people whose entire livelihoods depend on the timber industry. It was right, one of the main right. industries in Oregon. So how do you care for those people? How do you shift... How do you make sure that they have jobs? And so there was all this back and forth about it. You start it. eating owls. You just farm the owls <laughs> and then you eat them. I think that's the... I'm joking. That's the, No, actually, there were bumper stickers that said, you know, the people who are against the spotted owl, like, spotted owls, I love them when they're barbecued and fried. Oh, like, this was, you know, it was a big deal. Um, and it was a... It was a tactic by environmentalists because the spotted owl was on the endangered species list so they could use that as a legal way to protect the old growth forest. Yeah. Right. So because no one wants everyone's like, yeah, fuck the trees. Right. <laughs> so they're like, what? Uh, did you read the Lorax? Come on. Speaks yeah. for the trees. Um, so yeah, his last night in office, Bill Clinton put in a bill that protected that. The spotted owl. Just... And then that made the whole timber industry not them not steal all the trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, big 
hundred year old, bigger than hundred year old trees, and we just we just rape the earth. We're like, uh, we we're not allowed to rape women anymore, so now we'll just rape the earth. It's no problem. Can I mean I don't know very much about the whole pipeline issue. Can you summarize it real quickly? It's like there's Indian reservation, and then they said, no, we're gonna build a pipeline. Uh, Yes, there's it's uh, native land and a company wanted to put a pipeline through there uh, for profit and uh, disregarded the tribal council and disregarded the treaty that says that this is properly and appropriately native land. They were just going to push it through. So the Lakota, who are the ones who are that um, it's their land, it's their land, the occupiers of that land, um, started fighting back and saying, no, we we reject this. And I mean, that's pretty much uh, yeah. the essential part of it. And it's, it is about um, also a recognition of Native American rights and what the country has largely ignored, uh, not just the genocide that happened, you know, right. the founding of our country, but in fact, what is still continuing to happen because there's lots of pieces of reservation land that companies are wanting to go in and mine and drill and distort. And then also there's issues of you know, education and funding and right. protection and just pure recognition that this is a legitimate culture right. in this country and deserves the rights of being protected. We we hate culture here. Yeah. I think that that's part of the... Because I used to say, oh, people hate art. Um, and they, they, don't, they just don't fund all of it. But, I mean, people really seem to hate culture. Like, they want it to be... I mean, I think culture is sort of food and we feed our children now all beige foods. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. chicken nuggets, quesadillas, pizza, everything sort of seems to be real beige. And I just, that sort of loss of like celebrating our differences. I think that makes, I think that's really sad, but then America sort of prides itself on it. They're like, we're the melting pot. None of it matters. Everybody eats pizza and bagel bites. Well, Um, also what gives me hope though, is that yes, we tend to focus on it was 25% of the population that voted Trump into office. That's an important distinction. 25% out of... 25% out of the entire... Because only 50% voted, and then About half of there. them voted for Trump. Uh, a little less than half, because Hillary Clinton has won the popular vote by over... A million right. votes moving on. Isn't to about that two amazing, though, that the popular vote doesn't stand? It's the same thing with Al Gore, and I can't believe we didn't fight back then either. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Don't grow a beard, man. Get up and fight. Like you win this thing. Don't let him. Don't let the dumb guy get in there." At least you know what, though. I, I never thought that I'd say that. I like George W. Bush compared to Trump. He's a <laughs> likable motherfucker. I well, he paints. He paints now. I know. He's so mediocre, though. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. It's so, like, sophomoric. And I'm sure they sell for, like, ten, twelve thousand $12,000 because he's already famous. But it's, like, <laughs> It kind of so cracks cute. me up. I mean, in this, the absurdity of the world that, and the absurdity of America, let's just face it, that is just such a prime and perfect example to me about how strange, strange we can, we can be. Yeah. That love- our former president paints puppies and himself pictures of himself in the, in the shower yeah that was fu- i saw those too i was like oh this is great so you're an activist at your core is that's what makes you tick there's no outside like were your parents religious were you raised any kind of well you- i was raised by hippies so yes i was raised and oh, wow. steeped in uh radical literature and the anarchist cookbook and activism and protesters and I grew up in Eugene, Oregon so it was the land where old hippies go to die Wow! Um, and a lot of people who had come from you know the 60s protests and whatnot so I was already 
hugely influenced by that. However, both my parents were born, and I was born in Michigan. They were raised Catholic, so there definitely is an an aspect of an influence uh, in my upbringing. And then my father, uh, when I was 11, shaved off his big beard and threw away his jeans and became a Republican and converted to Christianity. What? (laughs) Yes. Um, Which was a very big... uh, He had a come to Jesus talk, literally, and he went to Jesus. He really went to Jesus. Super zealot. Yeah. Our God is an awesome God. He Mm -hmm. reigns from heaven above. He sings in church now. Oh, yes. Yes. He loves it. He loves Jesus. My parents are the same way. Yeah. But he was a hippie and he had a convert. And so did this affect you? Were you like, what, what, excuse, are you still like flabbergasted that this change has occurred or do you understand it? I do understand it. Um, I do think there, I, I think there's a little bit of some mental weirdness um, that is the force or the source for it. But, um, but actually I think what it did for me was it allowed me to recognize that one needs to be very, or use much discernment when it comes to engaging in big ideas and big movements and big philosophies, whether that's religion or whether that's the hippie movement, to question everything. Because to see him be so passionately involved in one way of living and then to completely convert, it allowed me to understand that there can be a great hypocrisy right. in fanaticism and in zealotry. Wow. And so that allowed me to kind of engage my critical thinking skills and as I developed and got exposed to a lot of other different things to sort of you know take little pieces I'm like okay I sort of I appreciate that but bit I can engage in that but this no not gonna not gonna take that on right um and so in a way I'm kind of grateful to him for um allowing me to have that Recognition, right? You well, you have the concept for critical thought, which we're calling out of America. Absolutely, I don't think that people critically think anymore as a Mm-mm. skill. There's just some really bad thinking going on, and not like just like poor thinking. Like they, the choices aren't truly thought out, and people aren't investigating the pieces of their life or their history to understand their future, mm-hmm. which I think is is kind of a, a skill that we're starting to that's sort of disappearing out of the world. You're, did you, what do you still grab onto from those radical hippie days? Or have you let all that go? I mean, you're a feminist, but you shave your armpits. Like, nope. No, I, you don't. Okay, good. So you still hold on to some of the original precepts. But what are the, like the hippie things that you've said? Hey, that was a great idea, but not, I'm not embracing that. Like living on a bus might be one of them. Or uh, Well, like, there's, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> hippie aesthetic that I don't engage in. Right. Um, Jingly and- bells flowing skirts yeah i mean the whole you know <laughs> the sort of stoner culture burning blah 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 that's right, not right, for me right. i i am a noir chick i like uh pencil skirts and heels i like a certain uh kind of um how should we say you don't like the hippie aesthetic i don't like the hippie aesthetic gotcha uh or most of it um <laughs> i also i don't know it's sort of a good question i resist also a tendency within a lot of those movements to have it be more about identity than it is about the ideas and the actions. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's something I don't think people usually engage in. It's just, it's the image and that's what it is. It's not necessarily the ideas. So that's right. It's how I'm representing myself and oh, we're all groovy together and we'll play songs talking about the trees. And I'm like, okay, that's all really great, but there needs to be more. Right. 
that uh, happens as a result of that. Um, sure. And you can't, there's a tendency sometimes to like, we all just want to hang out together and be in our little hippie bubble or a little hippie love bubble. Right, and, right. You know, don't want to engage in all of that out there. Like we're good and pure and clean and we don't want to engage in that. I'm like, but we have to go engage in that. We have to right. go see what people are doing in Flint, Michigan. We have to go understand what the miners are doing in Appalachia. It's, this is an important part of engaging in the beautiful process of inviting people to have compassion for each other and compassion for the world and the earth. So you're keeping from the hippies the compassion part. You're keeping yes. the love of the earth. You're keeping the love of each other. You're keeping all that good stuff, but you're saying, I like to shower. I don't need dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. I don't need to listen to the Grateful Dead and wear Birkenstocks. I can. I don't have to hang out on Hate Street with the other... I mean, it's, you're, you're shunning the dirty hippie part of hippie, which is, I have no problem with that. I mean, I love the love and compassion part too, but I, I really love that you're still focusing on action because I feel like I agree with you that a lot of hippies are like, I love everybody, everything's great. And then that's, it's just words. And mm-hmm. It just doesn't have like a, an action behind it unless their action is a personal action of being like, I shun it and I live on a bus. But I know a lot of comedians that live on buses and I wouldn't call them hippies. Mm-mm. So. Well, there's a lot of, it's sort of my, yeah, my aesthetic drove into a different way. I am somewhat obsessed with the, um, not only the French resistance during uh, World War II, but also what that led into in the French resistance in the 1960s with Beauvoir and Sacha and Camus and what they were engaged in and the fury and flurry of ideas and um, that, that arena of investigation mm-hmm. about our political cultural world uh, appeals to me more than a lot of what the rhetoric has been within the hippie movement. Gotcha. Um, it's more intellectual. Uh, not to say that there hasn't been an intellectual. Right, 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 right. We're not si- movement, right. We're but not. But but the, the hippies still their intellect their intellectual movement was seemed to be more centered around like freeing themselves mm-hmm. through like counterculture drug use and freeing themselves from the sort of patriarchy and the, what we all believe in, the, the bounds of so- society that we were like really, I think that those walls were really, you know, strong in the 50s saying, this is how you live. And they said, nah, we're going to embrace this. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you embrace that a little too far. We can have, we can still sort of interact with our society around us. I don't know. Well, exactly. And it's, well, the pursuit of freedom requires intention, mm. dedicated intention, and decisions, and choices, and so there was, you know, the free love movement, which was really great, and then you look sort of at European movements, or the more um, kind of beatnik uh, intellectual movements, that free love was also an aspect of that, but there was discussions around how does that play out, how do we actually do that, uh, how do we make choices about that, how do we protect each other in that, and the sort of polyamory movement I think has come out more from that than necessarily the free love business, or at least the people that I have been in touch with and are very dedicated to the ideas of consent and communication and recognition that love can exist in many different forms, but for us to share that and give ourselves freedom within that, we have to be even more... Right, group sex without the shame. Well, yes, that, that, Get get religion out of there. I'll never be able to be in a situation. I I was in a situation like that once. I had a group sex moment with a bunch of people, and I had a really great time, and it was super consensual, and it was super safe words, and everybody put their boundaries out, and everything was rad, and there were Mm -hmm. like six people, and I had a great time. But I was super single, 
and I had nobody on the horizon at all. There was nobody that I would have to explain it to in any way. So I sort of felt absolved, but still in my deepest, deepest religious raising, you're so lucky that you weren't raised so, clo- I, I was raised so religiously closeted about my own sexuality that I let it go in that moment, but I just couldn't embrace it as a lifestyle because the guilt and shame that have been instilled in me since I was born about my body and my sexuality, I just couldn't get over it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, orig- I think religion has really negatively affected me in that way and that I'm just as prude as the day is long. But it's good that you didn't have to experience it. That's one of the things where I, I like the show because we're talking about like the things in our past that sort of bind us as to who we are but also that are the bindings that don't let us who we can be don't let us who we become who we can become because they trap us mm-hmm. with these like chains of guilt and shame like that's what my religious background did well and it's so pervasive that even though I wasn't raised within a religious environment I was raised in this culture right which has been largely inspired by many of these religious ideas so I, I have the shame I have all of it Right. Or I had. Right, right, right. Um, and still do, I mean, I don't know if we can ever completely eradicate it from us, but with active challenging, I I let it all hang out. I, <laughs> I am, I am, got my gray hair and I yeah, me too. got my jowls and I got my cellulite and that's all groovy by me. You can't sell so, hair dye to people with self-esteem. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Or, with, or for people with self-respect. Oh, yeah, there we go. Um, so it's, um, it's an interesting thing that we have to realize how deeply we're affected by these religious precepts right. that exist and are embedded in our culture. Right. And sort of unpacking that and looking deeply into that is a is a intense is an intense process, right? To say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, um, not enough people are examining. Right, examining it. And now we're just How like, uh, and now we're like, Muslims, get out of here. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? To take an entire group of, th- there's group thought there, right? Like religion is sort of group thought, group think, like here, we all believe this together, so we're together. But to lump, it's it just seems like, it just seems like a new Holocaust. And that's so hard for me to say like, we're going to take people based on what they believe and we're going to say, nah, we don't, we don't want that here. And I'm like, but they could do that to anybody at any time. They could do that to polyamory. People be like, you know what? Mm-hmm. We're locking it down. And if you have group sex, you can't, you know, I mean. It, oh, it's true. It's I just, just wanted to make a distinction, though, because there is, well, within poly- polyamory, obviously, there's lots of different expressions of it. But right. what I've experienced with the people who, Annie Sprinkle is sort of a great representative of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at one of her know, weddings. Yeah, and she's her <laughs> very dedicated partner. They're very wonderful together and yeah. very dedicated to each other. But it's what that is allowed. There's, you know, the group sex and all that. But then there's also people examining what monogamy means, what commitment means, how, and like I said, a more intense communication about what is going to be the nature of our relationship. Right. Who are you and who am I? And how do we fit together in a way that makes sense for both of us. Not because someone over there tells us that this is how we're supposed to approach these ideas. For some people, monogamy is a really wonderful, important, and vital thing to their relationship. For other people, that uh, inhibits and limits their ability to express who they need to be. And for the allowance of that, I am thankful for the people who have, and they were uh, shamed and um, 
have had violence done against them. I mean, right. they've had to do the, the hard work to bring this now that we can even talk about this on a right. radio absolutely, station. absolutely. Because we would, I mean, we would, it's that whole slut-like versus, uh, you know, like if you have too much sex, you're a slut, and if you don't have sex, you're a prude. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, none of that should even, Who's who's to judge any of that? Anyways, like, I, I don't, that's where all the shame comes, all the judgment. Ah, why do we got to be judged for our choices? Although I feel like sometimes we have to judge each other's choices more because some choices are being made without judgment mm-hmm. before the act and then after. I, don't, I just don't know how people are living their lives these days. <laughs> okay, uh, back to you. What, what other, so what other things shape, if it's not religion, we've gone through the hippie thing, your dad went on to the Christianity what shapes you right now? Uh, well, actually, I did. I was thinking about this question before coming on the show. And I, I live in a, or exist in a profound um, contradiction, which is that ultimately, I believe there is no meaning. There is no God. There is chaos and symmetry and entropy. Energy doesn't die. But when we die, our consciousness ceases to exist. That is a fact. There is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no great beyond, and there is no real great meaning to life. There's no meaning. There's no meaning. And I genuinely, truly believe that. However, we have these amazing brains. They're phenomenal, magical, extraordinary things with untold capacity. Right. And so the believing that there is no meaning actually gives me the freedom to believe that there's meaning in everything. Oh! And that I get to believe in it all. Yes! I, I love ritual. I think ritual is very important. I love the idea of sacred spaces um, and spaces dedicated to the sacred, even though essentially I'm saying I don't believe in the sacred, but I do in this odd sort of way. Right. And I believe in um, fairies. And goblins and ghosts. Absolutely. I read the tarot cards. Yes, yes. I am all kinds of woo-woo in all kinds of ways. <laughs> but it's, it's an act of allowing the imagination and the creativity of what we are and what we're existing in to have its free, beautiful, gorgeous, fun reign to let it just all be. And if you have to be a construction crew and you have to give gifts to the trolls who live under the bridge before you fix the bridge, I am okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Give I gifts to totally the trolls. Okay with that. Sure. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I think that I believe very similarly because I believe in alien cats as mm. our overlords. And I believe, I believe so many things and people are like, Oh, they'll say something silly. And they'll be like, Oh, I believe in that. Sure. Because it's one of those like meta things where once you think it, that thought exists, and if Precisely. you think it and you see it in your head, then that exists. That thought now exists. If you can draw a picture of it, well, mm-hmm. now it really exists because you just made it exist. Exactly. So, and like, you go into the idea of the collective unconscious, you know, by Jung and then Lacan, and where he takes that further in this, because we are all connected, because we all have the same capacity for these, you know, expressions for language, for belief, for. Um, imagining sure. all things under the sun. And in that way, we all do share this sense of, of a bonding and a connectedness to a great, a great something. But it's not out there. It's not a, 
it's not an entity right it isn't god isn't you don't believe in he's sitting on a cloud looking down on everybody or like the what's the great the great movie with the clash of the titans when they have all the little figurines and they put them in the little thing and they move them around they're like look what we're doing with the people ha, ha, ha. Yeah. it's not like it's I not like god's movie. on the i do too i love the playmation um uh, and that's why also i like exploring um all the different aspects of the many different world religions you know and when you go more deeply into them unfortunately so much of religion I don't want to go too far on this, but Christianity and Islam particularly have become these massive, huge belief systems that were essentially acts of, well, imperialism, obviously, but, <laughs> but of, building, of building populations, of building yeah. cities, of a political force. Of toilets. It's you, toilets. It's, yes. It's the religion brought toilets, basically. Precisely. <laughs> and it was through that, but... but as a result of it being used for those purposes, much of what was the kind of mystical depth and complexity of those philosophies became, uh, they were sort of dumbed down and diluted, and now they become these, these precepts that don't allow for exploration and, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Sort of investigation. It's one of the things I really like about Jewish culture and the Jewish faith. Right. That, because I still, I'm not a fan of religion, but but this idea that you're always asking questions. Always uh, yeah, always arguing. Questions. You're always, yeah. and you can always change you're things, always and you can always defend them. You can always interpret. Yeah. Absolutely, which is why they're not allowed to eat emu, but they should because those are domesticated birds now. <laughs> or ostrich. They aren't allowed to well, eat ostriches from before because they're not domesticated. But now they're domesticated, so why not eat the ostrich? Well, and, that's, and you, you look into a lot of uh, some of the ideas. Islam, obviously Buddhism, Hinduism. There are elements in all of those that are astoundingly beautiful and very intriguing and powerful. And obviously, I don't support a lot of what Islam stands for, but um, I did. Um, I worked with a, a man many years ago. We worked in a restaurant together, and we worked on Sundays, and it was really slow, so we would just sit at the bar and talk about all kinds of things. Right. And he was from Egypt, and he was Muslim. And we talked a lot about this and I asked him lots of questions and he asked me lots of questions and we had this really great exchange of minds and you know he was telling me that you know the idea of fasting and that the idea of inviting someone into your home is a sacred act and people fast to remember that other people are hungry and that there is this rather regular rhythmic intention to recognize how much other people are lacking and that's a fabric of the culture and the ritual and I was like you know I think that that's pretty groovy. See, but this is... Why does every one of the organized religions have something that's based on sacrifice? Like, you can't eat during Ramadan. You can't eat during the day. You gotta eat at night. Why? Why do you have to sacrifice stuff to prove that you're committed or to... Like, why... That's the one thing I have problem with, like, religion, is it's all about sacrifice. And the more you sacrifice, the better you are. But mm -hmm. that's not, that sort of goes against our human nature. Like, and then it ends up messing us up because I was taught, like, sacrifice is beautiful and that's great. But then I get into martyrdom because I'm like, I'm working so hard with these people and they don't even recognize it. I'm sacrificing so much for them. And then people are like... Why are you fucking sacrifice? Don't give us anything. We don't want your sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, oh, but Jesus taught me to sacrifice. Like, why Why do all the religions have this sort of like, like the Islamic with the Ramadan? Well, there's a couple of answers to that. I think definitely um, it's an act of power play. Ooh. When you want followers, there's 
um, you know, from the simplest cult member on, it's a way of kind of mind control wow. in essence, uh-huh. right? It's a way to have power over a group of people. Um, so there's that. Um, <clears throat> I think another element of it, though, um, a smaller little element, is that sacrifice, not so much sacrifice, because I agree with you, but the idea of being aware of how we can make choices to not consume, to not take it to, you know, just roll through it. Uh, A kind of discipline of integrity or a discipline of ethics. That through engaging and choosing to lack something for a time or for a day, to exercise the discipline of understanding your own moral code and your own integrity. Huh. So I think there is an element of that that is key and I think that it's the it ritual part that yeah. you're, it goes the ritual what are some of you you mentioned you do some rituals what are some of your like daily or weekly or rituals that you um well I don't necessarily in? do them on um a regular sort well, of yeah thing, like but, you know Christians pray it's a reli- it's a mm-hmm. it's a ritual thing and it can happen at any time and it's just something that they do what, like what would be a ritual that you sort of like engage in on a regular basis it's well I guess I do a lot of I do a lot of checking in uh-huh so sitting okay. on my porch when I'm hanging out with my plants or walking down the street a kind of how's what's what's going on what am I feeling what is what's happening around what, what am I picking up what's right what's around here I'm just checking in and sometimes I'll lend out thoughts like during the black lives matter movement mm-hmm. I, I would sit and I would kind of just I guess meditate or sort of think and just kind of send out recognition to the people who are yeah. suffering as a result of that. It's a kind of prayer, a kind of meditation. I don't really call it any of that, and I'm not um, I'm not very disciplined about my specific way to do it. I sure. basically I might have a glass of wine and smoke a cigarette. And there you go. Oh, I love your religion. Right. I love yeah, your ritual. It's, it's oh amazing. my gosh, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll I'll join in that religion. I'll smoke a, a cigarette and have a glass of wine and try to connect with what's around me like mm-hmm. that's that's a beautiful thing because I don't think a lot of people are connecting I think we're lacking that right now is oh connection yes. between one another yeah, between and, I, yeah. and not on Facebook and not and that's the thing that sucks so badly is that people continue thinking that they're being more connected through things like Facebook and it's just pushing us farther away mm-hmm. from each other like the the less you engage on a person-to-person level like when, every time you remove it from that it just, I don't know, it just becomes less human. And I feel like we're putting more importance upon these sort of inhuman communications and putting too much value and stock in them. I've seen people cry over like likes on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's like, that's, it's not real, everybody. It's not, the internet is not Mm-mm. a real place. <laughs> like, this is real. But some people would argue, say, no, 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 no. The internet is just as real and communicate and relationships you can have inside the internet are just as valid and i'm like it's a tool it's a tool and it can be a powerful tool but it's merely a tool it's not the and sometimes it's really a tool yeah but uh actually i do one of the things that i do do is i read tarot cards yeah uh publicly cool i make myself regularly available in a public space for people to come and get their cards read and i call it therapy (laughs) <laughs> that was actually that was uh, my That's friend Doug funny. came up with that That's term. That's very like funny. it. It's very charming, and it's I express to people that 
Um, so a little history about the tarot cards. I don't believe that the tarot cards are inherently magical. I don't think I'm necessarily communing with the spirits when I'm talking to people. I don't believe in destiny and I don't believe in fate at all. However, and, and in fact, the tarot cards were originally created as a game. In fact, they still play tarot in France. It's a huh. card game. Our modern playing card deck derives from the tarot deck. Okay. And it was just a card game. It was just a fun card game with all these mystical, mysterious imagery in it because of the time that it was created and the, you know, there was a lot of that going on as alchemists and sure. whatnot. So um, it kind of started as a sort of secret society. These guys would get together and, and play this game. So it had a little bit more meaning than just playing poker, but, but still, that's how it was started. So I don't believe that they're inherently imbued with some kind of great right, magical right. stuff. But I have had astounding experiences with people and I use them as a tool to engage with that person, to talk with them. Because they say, this is, you know, this is therapy. We're going to talk about you now. We're going to see what's going on with you and see if we can help with anything. Nice. Um, I've had numerous people cry. In fact, in fact, it, usually when I'm doing a session, there is at least one person every night who will cry. Um, you know, things have been revealed. Thing people have come to. I've had people come to me a year later and saying, that thing you said that was going on, like, that happened. Wow. Okay. And I don't know where that comes. I don't feel the need to explain what forces are at work sure. there. I just know that I've had the amazing and miraculous uh, opportunity to really engage deeply with people about their lives. And right. it's something that... You know they're giving me and it's a wonderful thing and I hope that I am able to give back to them and when I'm doing readings I also have a lot of goofy rituals that I have passed on to people sure um, for instance the egg ritual that if you're going through a very difficult time going through a state of grief or going through a really big transition um, or like a real self change like you really need to let go of something like a, an abusive parent or you know that stuff sure, that's sure, in sure. you that you need to get rid of um, Take an egg, and you wait. You can put some vinegar on it if you want to. You can kind of make it your own. But you take the egg and you sort of think about it, and you're like, okay, what is this that I'm all? I'm ready to get let go of. I'm ready to get rid of. I'm ready to let go of my anger or my hate, or I'm gonna let go of wanting revenge against that stupid ex-boyfriend of mine. Whatever it is. Yeah. And you kind of say, okay, and you intensely say to the egg, I'm giving it to you, egg. And then you take it somewhere pretty and you bury it. We bury it. Yes. You don't eat it. Nope. You bury it. You bury it. You don't throw it at a wolf. Nope. You don't throw it in the street or at somebody's house. You don't throw it at your ex-boyfriend's house because you're mad at him. Exactly. You bury you it. bury it. Which has the extra added benefit, organic eggs only, people, because eggs are good for the soil. So All right. Help out whatever's grown around there. That is awesome. I have I have a very similar thing that I do around the solstice every year, uh, the, the 21st or the 22nd of December. Where we, I, it's a baked potato thing. I take baked potatoes, I put potatoes in the oven, and I have a baked potato party, so we do eat baked potatoes. But I take tiny little red ones and cook them till they're just like, like, just, they're, you can't, they're inedible. Mm -hmm. And you do the same thing. You imbue all of your bad juju from the whole year. But then you throw it. <coughs> so we just throw them out. I used to be on a canyon, so it was like, oh yeah, give it to the dogs after the coyotes out in the canyon. They'll eventually eat it, or it's a potato. Nothing can grow from it is the whole thing, like because it's mm -hmm. a potato that's already cooked. If it was a raw potato, something could grow from it, and you don't want anything to grow from this. You, just, you want it to be dead. So you throw it out there, and something eats it in the wilderness. So very, very similar. But I did it 
in San Francisco off my balcony and we just threw potatoes in the street and they got smashed by the buses and everything. And I felt a little guilty about that because I'm like, I'm not helping San Francisco by throwing potatoes out into the street. <laughs> but it was, it's just because I moved from the, the, image. Yeah, the image. Yeah, you just stand on the balcony and you throw it on the ground. You wait for it to get run over by a car. And you try not to hit anybody because getting hit by a baked potato would probably hurt and I could get sued. Um, it worked better when I lived on a canyon. That's a great ritual. That's a beautiful, you just, I asked you about rituals and you just explained a great, great ritual. So everybody out there, you, if you have some bad stuff, take an organic egg and do the ginger Murray trick and, Mm -hmm. and go and bear, and you know what? It's so nice because it's going to help the ground or maybe some tiny little squirrel will, will, (laughs) you know, open it up and eat it. And that's great too. Feed the squirrel. We love the squirrels. Um, this has been amazing. Do you have any, uh, you you were, you are so different than any guest we've had yet, and I love it because you're so in tuned to what you think and feel, and it's the integrity thing. And you know, you under you've already examined your own thoughts and feelings, so it's so fun to talk to you because you've got all these, you've got these real personal philosophies. <laughs> yes. No, seriously, it's amazing. Not everybody. Some people have come, been coming in here, and they're like, well, I'm like, come on, you know what this show is about. Bring it. Uh, Give us some uh, last closing thoughts. Anything that you want to, let's, or, or promote or whatever you want to, can people find you? you? Do you do tarot card parties? What do you? Um, well, do actually, you- I want to, I did one for a friend that was great. She had, uh, she's a mom and she has all these moms. And so she ranges, they all came over without their kids. Yeah. They got to drink wine and smoke cigarettes and talk about life and you know, decompress. And then each one of them came and had a reading with me. Cool. Which is an idea that I want to do. It's like, I think, and it, it did do what I imagined it would do is that the conversation that they were having uh, as a result of each one of them getting, became more and more intense and bonded and right. um, emotive. Right. Um, and it was really interesting and they helped to heal. There, there had been a rift between two of the women due to their some issues with their kids and that came out in the tarot cards. Wow. And I was able to reveal it's like because you both and I was able to sort of give some understanding about that. Right, that right, 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 right. Well, you were a third party too, so it's nice that yeah. it came out and that there was sort of an advocate for neither side. You're a medium, you're in between. Exactly. So that I would like to do more. If people want to um, help arrange something like that, I would be more than happy to come and be the uh, tarot lady. Um, but, but you charge for your gifts, right? I like, do. Yeah, I of do. course, you have to. You can't just go to people's houses and party with them and give it away for free. Yes, it's there is. It's it's kind of funny. There, um, I do think that it's important to have an exchange, and gifts can come in different forms. But yes, I sure. do. I do take cash. Um, then the other thing is, I every Tuesday at the Uptown in Oakland. Cool. I have a night. And I do all kinds of different things, and I have my tarot cards there. So uh, the first Tuesday of every month is queer sessions. So it's different queer performers of all kinds. Rad. Uh, Second Tuesday of the month is a fun poetry, weird film, expressive wackiness. Cool. And then then I have live music So uh, on the last Tuesdays of the month. So that's a lot of fun, and it's really great, and it's free. All you gotta do is come, hang out, tip the musicians, and buy a drink. That's rad. At the Uptown. Mm-hmm. That's on... Telegraph and 19th. Telegraph and 19th. It's right around the... I, I go to the layover a lot for comedy. Yeah. Oh, the layover right is a really great place. Yeah. I was there last week for their um, But show. in terms of a greater sort of, you know, just sort of close on a big um, idea, 
one of my core philosophies that I believe in is a phrase that um, I believe Nelson Mandela was most famous for, which is that I am not free until every man is free, until everyone is free. Right. And that's something I keep in my mind and, or, you know, in that little part of my gut sure, on sure. a regular basis to always remember that and keep that. And how can I, in little bits, in little ways, every day, do something to fight for the freedom of all of us? That's amazing. Yay! Fight for the. I know, because we as ladies now, we're not. We're not free from patriarchy. No, we're not. No, we certainly aren't. Uh, and where you've been, um, you're, you publish at medium.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, where else have you, you're still writing poetry? You're still putting it out there or not? Um, not so much the poetry lately. Um, it's more storytelling. Oh, right on. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I do love uh, live performance storytelling. Right, yeah, cool. Um, awesome. And uh, yeah, so I, I, truth be told, though, I've been working so much lately that this... These uh, fancy heels of mine have not seen a stage in quite some time. Really? Wow. Because you've just been, your job has just taken over. Well, yeah, life and life. Yeah, I've got a ton of different jobs and whatnot. But 2017, come back. Magazine's going to come back. Oh, great. More performances. All kinds of things are happening. um, And the big, huge civil unrest. Yeah, I know. I just, I'm so scared about the class war. I mean, we've got to rise up against our oppressor at some point, but like, oh, their guns are so much bigger. Well, and they I, have drones. Drones fall out of the sky now. They can hit you. They can just hit you by falling out of the sky. They don't even need to shoot you in the face anymore. They just fall out of the sky, kill you that way. I drones think we have everywhere. some pretty <clears throat> creative resources at our disposal. I, I'm, you've, you've renewed my faith, Ginger Murray, that we can be, that activism isn't dead and that we can't just roll over and die and say, all right, Scratch my belly, racists. I'm just going to let this all happen. I always think about the complacency, and I hate to do this to Germans, but the rest of them, like, not everybody was a Nazi. They were regular, just normal Germans Mm -hmm. just hanging out. And suddenly they're, like, complicit in the entire, you know, Holocaust thing. And they didn't, they're not, there were some Germans that weren't Nazis. They were nice people. They're just farmers or people, or they lived Mm -hmm. there, and... And all that, and then it's just been passed on to them. And I feel like the same thing could happen to us. Mm-hmm. Like if we just sort of go, and I, I wish there was someone like sort of studying, and they probably are, the Germans at that time, and what that, what was happening with them, because we're them right now. Like if we don't say no, I mean, all this crazy shit can happen again because we just let it. Oh, there is actually a very dedicated process of research into that. And in fact, I read the tarot cards for a woman who is one of them. Wow. Who has spent the last 10 years of her life researching Auschwitz and all of this, but also the process of, of leading to that. And I discovered this because the devil showed up in her cards. And I was like, okay, why is the devil here? When the devil shows up, there's some pretty intense business going on. And I'm like, yeah, right. yeah. you spend 10 years studying the Holocaust in Auschwitz. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to that's gonna get up in your mind. So, and I... You know, talking to her, she cried. She's like, "You're right." I was like, "You need to go do something really good for yourself. You need to, right? You need to like vomit into it, right? Purge it out. <laughs> can't even deal with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, uh, or, I'm so or scared. Bake a, bake a potato and bake a potato it. and throw it, or make an art project and burn it. I don't know. Throw it into the canyon. Don't it? Yeah. Throw. I mean, there's got to be. So uh, people should join uh, Peaches for Freedom. 
on and we'll tag it on the thing so that oh it's just can. a very just a it's um no no, no that's not no, it's that's only, just it's a purely, quiet group that's a yeah that's a quiet, a quiet girl little group. group for people and it's purely just for specifically for information so if okay. people want to join it because they want to know where the electric addresses are and whatnot you're more than welcome but cool. it's not i mean who knows it might grow but right it's right, not, right right it's more it's um i kind of just created it to be a place to store the information that people have been giving me so awesome have it in our, um fingertips but you can read me at ginger murray um at medium.com and let's see what else um thanksgiving is coming tomorrow so i do wish you all a very um good holiday these are very difficult times these are dark times and a lot of people are visiting family that there's been a lot of uh rancor and there's gonna be a lot of fighting there's gonna yeah. be fighting at the dinner table so i Trumpy do Trump send out uh wishes uh for some kind of healing and good pie in your life. I, <laughs> of course, yes, the good pie. Yes, I will actually be declining to do Thanksgiving in honor of um, doing some support for Standing Rock. Oh, wow. So you can donate to them. There's a, it's the site, it's the Standing Rock Medic site and people can donate there and send them medical supplies. And wow. And every year on Thanksgiving morning, don't the Native Americans go out to Alcatraz. Alcatraz mm-hmm. still, and they do a beautiful thing in the morning, and and that's yeah. happening in solidarity. And I'm sure that their hearts and minds are going out to Standing Rock. Well, and then all. Oh yeah, keep going. We need pie in our lives, or metaphorical pies. So I wish you good pies in your lives. Absolutely. And pie, good pies for me. Good pies. No, just not tomorrow. You're gonna do the pies on Friday. Yeah. Oh, that's see, you're doing some sacrifice there to help the people. To think about the to people. Think yes. about the people. To think about to put yourself in the right mindset to think yeah. about the people. Exactly. Ginger Murray, this has been a pleasure. It has been too long since I've seen you. And uh, whenever Horror Magazine comes back, if you want to do any shows here at Mutiny Radio, I invite you to do that. You saw we have, we have chairs now. Isn't that nice? And a stage and lights. We're like fancy. It's been a while probably since you've been here too. Uh, so this has been really great, and I thank you so much. We're going to list the second hour here on Some Call Me Tim is Pervert Fervor. He's my co-host, uh, Timothy Pizza. He makes Miggity Moog's Beepity Boop music, and every week he does it. He usually does it live out there, but today he SoundClouded it to us, so we're going to listen to that for that second half. And um, solidarity to Standing Rock, everybody. This was Ginger Murray. Yay, yay, thank integrity. You, thank you. The word of the day is integrity. 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 And I feel like it's been lost in America, and we're going to bring it back. Uh, Thank you so much, you guys. Enjoy. I've been your host, Pam Benjamin. This last hour is devoted to pervert fervor. This is called Live Debate 01, Meth Wolf versus Pervert Fervor. I don't know what it means, but you guys are going to like it here on MutinyRadio.fm. Oops, I'm not plugged in. There it is. There it is. There's the beepity boops that we love. All right, thanks again to Ginger Murray. We'll be back next week with Adrienne Villeneuve.